Hello, my name is Lauren Ober, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. There are an estimated 30 to 60 fragile states around the world, states that suffer from weak institutional capacity, poor governance, and or political instability. Often this is a legacy of past conflict. But whatever the cause, such pervasive failures can hinder development. Kristalina Georgieva is the European Commissioner for International Cooperation, Humanitarian Aid, and Crisis Response. At the last annual meetings of the International Monetary Fund and World Bank, she called for more collaboration between the development and humanitarian sectors when dealing with vulnerable nations. The uh, world is facing, unfortunately, more fragility today, and it will grow tomorrow. We have 1.5 billion people living in fragile situations, but we can act on that. We can do much better by aligning the forces of those whose job is to save lives with those whose job is to make these lives worth living. And that is building a bridge between two worlds for quite some time, a world apart, the humanitarian and the development world. I'm wondering why you feel there has been this, like you said, a a world apart um, between humanitarian and development worlds. Two reasons. One is very objective. They have different mandates. Humanitarians are there to come to the rescue to people in very dire need. And the development community is to build long-term solutions uh, that take time and require an engagement of a different nature. But there is also institutional rivalry between those two communities. Humanitarians saying, we are fast. Development people saying, yeah, you're fast, but you don't understand sustainability. And yet, when you have a very tragic situation like uh, the war in uh, Syria, it is predominantly humanitarian aid, very little development assistance and therefore unacceptable to keep these two mandates in that tradition of we save lives, but don't think about what happens to the child we saved. Is this child going to have education, a chance for a job? And if not, would that mean that next year and the year after we'll have to come and save him or her again? And that, I think, is now changing. So together we can reduce the suffering of the future, in other words, gain for the humanitarians, but we also can underpin better chances uh, for, uh, from a development perspective. Do you have any examples of, of regions or countries where this is happening, where they're, they're working together? Fortunately, more and more, the humanitarian and the development community do join forces, and they do it because needs are so profound that it is morally wrong and financially irresponsible not to do so. Take, for example, Côte d'Ivoire after the end of the conflict. The uh, systems of provision of social services completely destroyed by the civil war. The humanitarian community is there. They have the immediate platform to work on rebuilding these state functions and then, of course, turning them to the, uh, to the uh, development community. And in this way, both communities, in fact, expand their impact for the sake of people who so badly need help. 
So going off of that, one of the things you talked about in your remarks yesterday was anticipatory action. I guess looking into your crystal ball and thinking in advance. I think the example you used was drought. Um, And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about that type of action. Earthquakes we cannot predict, but droughts, floods, we can see them coming. And we can take measures to help communities brace these frequent hits better. Let's, let's take the Sahel as an example. Three severe droughts in seven years, 2005, 2010, 2012. What's wrong with this picture? They're supposed to come every 10 to 15 years, each one of them. Despite of our knowledge that they're coming, it is still easier to raise resources to respond to safe, severely malnourished children than to take the actions so they don't get so severely malnourished. It costs $10 to prevent severe acute malnutrition. It costs $200 to treat it. So not only we cause enormous suffering and we undercut the chance of a child, even if this child survives, to grow up to a full potential, but it is more expensive to be reactive. And for this, we are now trying to change the mindset globally from reaction to prevention. Not easy because a dramatic picture of a starving child has a good chance to make it on the front page or on the six o'clock news. A picture of child that got food on time and is not malnourished rarely makes it if ever. I still am wondering how to make preparedness sexier than response, and I haven't yet found the answer. The European Commissioner for International Cooperation, Humanitarian Aid, and Crisis Response on her plan for helping fragile states. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can hear more on www.soundcloud.com slash IMF hyphen podcast.